what is it that you you can do as a company that no other company like yours can do? I firmly believe that your people are the ones that make that difference. Everybody can replicate tools, software, systems. Everybody can have all that. You, you can't replicate people. You're listening to CX Confessions, brought to you by Koros. I'm Spike Jones, General Manager of Koros Strategic Services. And I'm Stacy Satterwhite, Chief Customer Officer at Koros. In each episode, we'll share the customer experience stories and insights you need, straight from the sharpest minds in CX, so you can better connect with your customers. And make them customers for life. Let's start the show. Welcome back, everyone, to CX Confessions, another great episode. My name is Spike Jones. I'm the general manager of strategic services here at Coros, but it's ain't about me. It's also not about my co-host, but she is awesome, the one and only, the incomparable, the amazing, the big-brained, Stacy Satterwhite. How's it going, Stacy? It's going great, Spike, but that's a lot to live up to. Uh, as always, fun to be here with you on yet another CX Confessions. I'm super excited about our guest today. A lot to live up to. I'm, this is the script that you gave me. I'm just reading what you gave me, Stacey. Come on. I mean, I, I, I always write my own bios for these things, by the way, too. But yes, we have some exciting, an exciting guest today. But, uh, you know, usually this is the part where we banter a little bit. I'd ask you about the weather, but we live in Texas, so I already know what the answer is. Uh, but what, what else has been going on? Anything in the industry? Anything at work that you're excited about? Yeah, there's actually lots of cool industry stuff happening. We've got some uh, partnerships here at Coros with Everyone Social that we're excited about. So, I mean, you know, industry stuff, but fun for us. And I get to, I get to talk a lot about my one of my soapboxes about value and outcomes at the uh, Gainsight Customer Conference. So, yeah, there's lots of cool industry stuff going on, uh, you know, in addition to just enjoying the trail end of summer. Fantastic. Well, you want to get into it? Sure. Our guest today is Jennifer Anaya. She's currently the Senior Vice President of Global Marketing at Ingram Micro. Certainly a large organization that many of us have heard of, myself included, being a former IBMer. When I dug in, I was like, wait, these guys ain't macro. They're macro. They're huge. <laughs> exactly. huge. They're not micro. They're huge. They're big. Jennifer's overall goal is to change the dialogue around marketing and its role within technology companies with sales channels to ultimately inspire new and unconventional ways for Ingram Micro and their business partners to go to market. In her day-to-day role, her responsibilities include developing the brand, market strategies, content and digital marketing, amongst many, many other things for all of the company's very diverse partner base. In Jennifer's spare time, she enjoys skiing, going to the beach, and entertaining family and friends. She's also the co-chair of the Distribution Advisory Council for a nonprofit technology trade association, CompTIA. I'm sure many of our listeners have heard of them. I certainly have. And she's previously served on the board of Operation Jumpstart, a youth mentoring organization based in Long Beach, California. So, wow, really excited to talk to Jennifer today. Absolutely, another classic overachiever like all of our guests on this show, uh, and my co-host included. So they'll, they'll get along famously, so that's great. <laughs> You're right, Spike. We've got some pretty incredible guests on this show. So let's get started with Jennifer. Welcome, Jennifer, to the show on CX Confessions. We're super excited to have you here today. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks, Stacey. One of, one of the things that I think is unique about some of your perspective that we're going to learn more about here today is about 
how CX and great CX really begins with great EX. And allow me to just tell you a little story about one of my soapboxes, if you don't mind. If and when you work in my organization, I'm a huge believer in this thing I call the circle of life, which means that employees and satisfied and engaged employees create satisfied and engaged customers, creates happy shareholders, creates them back to great employees. So I'm a huge believer in the concept of employees to customers to financial performance and back to employees. So I'm really, really interested to get your perspective on what does great CX really begin with great EX or employee experience? Very, very excited to hear your thoughts on that. I think really it starts with culture inside a company, and that is the EX side of it for sure, right? Is how companies operate, what's your DNA, what's your value system, you know, what are the th- what's the purpose of that c- company collectively? And do the employees really understand? the purpose and understand how they contribute to it. I think that's where it starts. From there, I think it goes into really understanding what systems and tools and processes that people use inside the company that you know, ultimately would, would touch the customer in some way, shape, or form. But even back office um, organizations touch the customer and often they don't know that they do. Um, Years ago, and I used to talk about this to a lot of small businesses, I used to talk about it in terms of your accounts receivable person is as much of a salesperson in your organization as your frontline salesperson is. And people would look at you and say like, what are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) But you know, what, what that is, is that that person could absolutely kill your customer experience or even cause customer not to want to work with you again, or a very critical, important supplier, right? Which could impact your customer overall. And so really thinking about that holistically and understanding, you know, how everyone in the company plays a role is is really important. Wow. I really, really love it. One more question on that, if you don't mind. In your opinion, what are some of the key elements of great EX? So let's say... In that, in that accounts receivable example, like how do you encourage that person to make it a great EX for them so that they can then have a great CX for your customer? It's really, it comes down to the contribution. So that accounts receivable person, what is their role in the company? What is that team's role that they're a part of in the company? What are the metrics that they're being measured against? Um, how do those metrics support the overall business objectives of that company and how do those metrics support perhaps the overall experience that we're trying to build for a customer. Yeah, speaks a lot to alignment and making sure everybody understands how what they do every day contributes to what you're trying to do as a as an organization. I love it. Really cool stuff, Jennifer. You could say, you know, I mean, I grew up in with two entrepreneurial parents who ran small businesses, <laughs> so I understand in a company our size of Ingram Micro, we've got 28,000 associates globally across 61 countries. So, you know, there's a lot of scale. Um, there's, and we operate very much in a localized fashion because that's how our customers engage with us. So we are in the process of building, you know, uh, processes and really a digital system that's going to allow us to be connected more on a global basis to know that we can do things globally, we can do things regionally, and we can do things locally. 
Really, I love I love this line of thought. I, I think uh, as I worked in a small company uh, years ago, and uh, you know that idea that you know everybody wants to be a part of something bigger than themselves, right? Even when it comes to work, right, to make a difference. And so even we reimagined some titles, and I don't encourage everyone to do this, but I think it worked in a small creative agency. And so our our receptionist, we called that the first impression because we wanted to elevate that position to say like, well, this is this is so important that, you know, you're answering the phone because that's what people did back then. Um, but we call them first impressions. So these people really took it to heart. <laughs> the company's name was Brains on Fire. And sometimes the person would pick up the phone and go, when I say brains on, you say fire, brains on, brains on. And sometimes people would just click and hang up because they're like, I don't, I don't want to. But other times we were like, oh, you're, you're a kindred spirit. That's weird and creative. And I like that. Or it's your nickel. Start talking just for things like that. So we want, we want that passion to shine through for our, for our employees, for sure. Because like you said, uh, Jennifer, like it translates into that customer experience as well. So do you have any strategies for really igniting that passion when it comes to teams and, and how that passion can shine through the work and connect with the brand? Yeah. Uh... It's it, what I would say. I, I love the brains on fire thing. I'm still laughing. Sorry. <laughs> it, is, it really comes down to these, those individuals understanding the contribution they make. Um, which means executives, leaders need to be very clear about what the objectives are and, you know, what the outcomes of those objectives are. I think, you know, we spend a lot of time in companies talking about financial metrics or even customer service metrics or call metrics or this metric, or that metric. And human beings don't necessarily know how to translate that into what does that mean for me in terms of my productivity, in terms of my passion and what I'm passionate about or you know, how do I contribute to that in a, in a material way? And so really talking about outcomes, what, what is the outcome of what we're trying to produce um, helps with that a lot. Because then if we're clear on the outcome, then different roles and different people can understand where they play in that, you know, and what they could do. And I believe too, because I've seen this happen at our companies, it inspires even more creative thinking, thinking that, you know, people might not have thought of before about how we get to that outcome or maybe how we even, you know, um, in, improve or evolve that outcome to be even better than it could be. Like, so that that's where I think that that connection happens. I, I, again, I love that. It reminds me of the old JFK, that old story about JFK at NASA. And he walks up to the janitor and goes, what do you do here? And he says, I'm here to put a man on the moon. It's, it's just that, that mission and that outcome that we're all believing in. Right. And, and it's really cool to, for leaders to paint a picture like that. So I, I'm digging what you're saying. We have a new chief digital officer that we hired about a year ago now. Um, and he is, he's really changed a lot of the thinking at our company. But one of the things he talks a lot about is you think technology he talks a lot about mindset and it really is about a growth mindset that 85% of companies doing digital transformation fail because they focus too much on the digital and on the technology or on the process and they don't at all adopt a different mindset. So your janitor example is, is a great one because it's like, how could that individual be um, generating value to allow that team to get that man on the moon. 
Yeah, I love that. With my CCO or my chief customer officer hat on, one of the things I talk a lot about, another soapbox of mine, is nobody buys software for software's sake. They buy it to achieve value and outcomes for their business. I really love the idea of bringing that to an individual on, on challenging themselves for the value they bring in their respective role. So it sounds like obviously uh, Inger Micro, large organization. Talk to me a little bit about how you would say your thought processes or your strategies here might differ depending on the size of company. And if so, how you might translate that to some of our listeners that maybe work at smaller companies than, than Inger Micro. It it comes well. Ingram is a, is a very large company, so we're a fifty four billion dollar company globally. But we're actually what people would describe us as like the biggest little company they've ever worked for. <laughs> like, All right. It's an interesting dynamic because we don't we do operate as I mentioned in a very localized fashion. So many of our countries operate as if they were a country all by themselves. And and what I'd say is that. Those countries and the way and the manner of how they focus on their customers that they're serving and the processes and the tools that they built around that, as well as the culture they have inside of their team matters just as much as what we do in the giant, you know, global side of our company. And as a smaller company, what you can do is really think about, you know, what, what is it that you, you can do as a company that no other company like yours can do. I firmly believe that your people are the ones that make that difference. Everybody can replicate tools, software, uh, systems. Everybody can have all that. You, You can't replicate people. So people are really the differentiator. And that spirit, that mindset that your team has can really be the difference. One kind of fun activity that um, we would, we have a lot of, companies that we we support 170,000 um, technology partners around the world and many of them are very small companies they're not you know the huge companies we've all heard of and so one of the things that we talk to them about our smaller business partners is do a fun exercise where go around with an iPhone or a phone a device a camera and and ask your different people who are we and what do we do for our customers just ask them that question see what they say who are we? The who part is really important. Who are we? And what do we do for our customers? And, and see what they say. Most inevitably, everybody says something a little different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Unless they've gone through you know, an exercise where they kind of understand what our elevator pitch is and they have sort of their variation of it. But most of the time, it's very different. And that really can tell you where your team is in terms of what you know, how they view what that company is about and who they are and what they do for their customers, right? But then go and ask the same question of your customers. Go ask your customers, who are we to you? And what do we do that you you can't get anywhere else? And then see what they say. And inevitably, you're going to come back with some really golden responses that then can inform what your people are saying. And that in there really lies that sort of differentiator, that value proposition that you're providing. So your space, I mean, your industry, but also your space as a marketer, it is evolving and changing all the time. All the time, you've got new data resources coming online. You've got social channels opening up. You've got, so this, this, this experience, this journey for the customer and the employee is always changing. So how do you think the expectations have changed when it comes to EX and CX with all these new, all these new tools, but also all this new information that you have now? 
you know, from my vantage point and experience, our technology industry isn't being held quite as accountable as maybe a B2C or consumer packaged goods kind of company is yet. Um, Because still, many of whom buy technology are technologists. However, over the last five years, that's changed quite a lot. Now, the people who are buying technology and are people like heads of marketing, CFOs, heads of customer service. They're the ones now buying technology and they don't care so much about what it does or how it works. And so there's a lot of education that we're doing across the sales channel within technology, which is the what we represent in Ingram Micro, on how do you speak to those customers to connect with what they're searching for online, most, most definitely, and what they're looking for? How do we get out of our tech speak and our sort of speeds and feeds and like all about geeking out on technology? And how do we get really excited and passionate about the business outcomes that we're producing? And often, you know, at Ingram, we, we touch pretty much every technology category that's out there. Um, it's part of our company and what we service for the, the IT uh, industry. And it takes at least on average six different products to make up a solution. Those products often are not from the same technology vendor. They're not from all from you know one Microsoft or they're not all from Cisco or they're not all from Apple, for example. They're six different products. And so it requires an orchestration that is entirely different than what it used to be in the past. So not only are the buyers changing, but what they're buying is changing. That's great. And I mean, that is quite an evolution and already, you know, all, like I said, always changing. So a little introspective for you, how has your role tr- changed, you know, over the t- your time there and even in, in this industry and how you think about what you do? Yeah, it's changed. So I would say I've gone personally through lightning changes in the last six months. So, wow. um, yeah, <laughs> who is our chief digital officer has come in and really, you know, he's he's helping us to build a, a digital platform that is essentially like a digital twin of our Ingram Micro Company um, sort of analog version. And so what that has meant for me and my role as, as a global head of marketing is, you know, how do we need to really be thinking about how we're reaching our customers and creating the best possible experience for them? Because we know it's a different experience regardless of where you're working with us, you know, in different countries or in different manners of how you're engaging with Ingram Micro. But with our digital experience, we have an opportunity to really bring that together and make it a personal one uh, that's more one-to-one with those users. So um, our idea of a customer now is not just another company that we're working with. It's perhaps you know, several individuals inside of that company whom we need to connect with and whom we need to um, help support in whatever it is they're trying to do to deliver technology down to those end companies. So um, our understanding of our customers and the personas and the segmentation of all that has completely changed. And we also now have an opportunity to pull all of our systems together and the data flow is absolutely critical. So a lot of focus on data and understanding you know, how we pull our data together so that we can be a lot smarter and more intuitive about how we're working with those individuals and and not just like email spamming people to death, but more (laughs) how do we give them valuable information about their business and even their role inside their business. 
Wow, lots of changes. Okay, it'll be super exciting to see this transformation that you're you're going through with your new chief digital officer. So maybe now is a great time to ask you this question we ask all of our guests here on CX Confessions, and that is, what is a commonly held belief or industry practice that you passionately disagree with? And maybe something's come up for you in the last six months. I think it would be that the industry of IT sees the sales channel as just a sales channel. And I wholeheartedly disagree with that. The industry of IT is being able to use this giant channel. I mean, 170,000 you know, independent companies around the world that are able to provide solutions, not just one-off products, but solutions is a force multiplier of absolutely everything for those IT companies. It's a force multiplier of how they can extend their customer experience down into those end businesses through those companies. Um, It's a force multiplier of how they can contribute to those really valuable outcomes that that technology is is promising. Um, A force multiplier, of course, of sales, of value, contribution, like all kinds of things. But I think they think that I just need to come up with incentive programs to sell more stuff. And so it kind of stops there. And I, I feel like if our industry could really grasp this concept of customer experience and the fact that we've got to be selling technology and outcomes and making sure those businesses are using that technology once they buy it, because they're not going to buy it again if they don't use it and really help support that channel in delivering that in a much easier way, like it would just explode in terms of value. There is a company that started doing that really well, that's Cisco. um, And they really started to understand the concept of what that's about. And they've made some pretty big shifts in how they've engaged with their channel as a result. And more companies doing that, I think, would be really great because that value contribution and that customer experience at the end would just be a whole different equation. Yeah, it's certainly uh, akin to think that nobody buys software for software's sake, they buy it to achieve a value and outcome. And then of course, same thing for the sales cycle, right? The whole point of that is just about what is it going to do for my business? And so a really great thought that it's not just about the, it's not just about the sale. It's about the value and the outcome that we're going to put together, especially from an Ingram micro standpoint, because you've got six different products. It sounds like is your average for, for per solution. So that's, that's obviously a lot. That's a complicated solution that you're putting together for each of your, each of your customers. Yeah, it is. And that's really what we've been attacking over the last year. And what this digital transformation is about for us is is really attacking that complexity. Um, is you know the technology industry doesn't use technology as much as we might think they do. <laughs> it's very manual. Yeah. <laughs> it's very much because there's so many systems everywhere, and there's so many different kinds of processes that, you know, it's not a, a standard kind of protocol, right? So, so what we're doing is we know it's not ever going to be a standard protocol. So what can we do to sort of be the glue that sort of ties all these complex. Uh, data, you know, systems and processes together. So it, it, we're kind of creating this single pane of glass for our customers to be able to transact or to learn or or to get and manage all those different six different products or more in creating that solution. So that's that's really what our digital transformation is about: is making a lot easier uh, for those customers and and eliminating that complexity in our industry. 
So uh, Jennifer, you talked a little bit before about the importance of data. I would love to dig in a little bit more on that. Like you and your role as head of global marketing, what, what's the data that you're, you're looking for when it comes to uh, your customers? I don't know that anyone's really cracked the code on how to get the right data in the right place and the right time and all that. What I do know though is that we've, we are focusing on our customer. So what does that mean? What is the data that we need to help them? So if you kind of prioritize it in that manner, it's, it's sort of like, what are the critical transactional data um, that they're using? What are some peripheral things that they need to know because they're transacting in certain technologies, right? What are some other technologies or solutions that could actually complement what they're offering? How do we you know, pull that, that together? Um, how often are they uh, transacting or working with us? Could we make it easier for them you know, to be able to work with us in a 24 by 7 manner if that's the way they want to work? Or if they're really working with us during these hours, then how do we make that possible? Like Understanding how they operate and how we flex with them is, is one data set that we're really focused on. And from a marketing standpoint, it is going to be... Because this is all still really new and how we're using this data, but it's going to be more about how they want to connect with us and where we find them so that we're not like spamming them to death in many places, but we're making it more of an intuitive way of finding what they need from us. So, you know, the name of the podcast is CX Confessions. So we like to ask all of our illustrious guests, what is a confession of yours when it comes to your career as far as like a hard lesson you might've learned along the way? Or, you know, maybe you made no mistakes in your career. So we could just skip right over this one too, if that's worse. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm perfect. No. Uh, <laughs> um, I'd say that what I've learned uh, and it's really come to light, like I've had big aha moments most recently is don't try to do big things. Don't try to do really big things because the world is operating too quickly mm. that by the time mm. you get the big thing done, it's like, it's not the right thing anymore. <laughs> right. So this, if, if you're familiar with agile and software processes, okay, I feel like the world is moving into this agile manner because everything's happening so fast. It's hard to keep track. And there are so many gating factors and sort of things that, you know, unknowns, let's just call it. So Moving in sort of an agile process and understanding, like putting a, a prototype together of an idea and putting it out there and testing it and learning from that and then improving on that um, and really in continuing to inform the process of how that idea grows, expands, evolves, changes, gets better, all that is really a big idea. And that those little increments of things become the big thing. And I often call it like learning that there's a continuum now that you know where you're at here and today and what you're trying to do. And you have a vision for maybe where you want to go. You don't necessarily know how to describe that, where you're going entirely. You just have a vision for what it could be like. What is the experience we're trying to create for customers? And making every day a little progress towards that and using that agile process to really get you to that vision. That is, is really what's working now. But trying to do big things, big projects now just don't work. <laughs> You just gave me a, a light bulb that I had never thought about. And that is, I, I've seen obviously the transformation being in software for a really long time about agile development from a software standpoint. What I've never thought about that you just gave me a light bulb for was like the agile life. 
Each of our lives are more agile than so. Yeah, maybe that's an interesting next uh, next interview for us here on CS Confessions or a book you could write, Jennifer, is the the agile life. It's not Ooh, just like about that. technology. Yeah, and I, I, it's true. Agile life. Oh yeah, yeah. Agile life. <laughs> but I, I, you know, really, the last couple of years in the pandemic and all that, I think, has accelerated all these things, mm-hmm. right? Where we have to be much more flexible. Um, you know, in terms of what we're doing it, when we're doing, how we're doing it, right? Um, than we ever used to be. Well, Spike, do you want to do the uh, do the honor of starting us off with our rapid fire questions to get to know Jennifer here at the end? Absolutely. Thank you for giving me that honor, Jennifer. We want to know get to know you as a person. You shared a lot about your uh, your career, how you approach things, which has been super fascinating, interesting. I've got a lot of notes and takeaways myself, but we would love to hear about you as a person. So, welcome to Quick Fire Confessions. We're going to pepper you with about five questions about you, the person, Jennifer. Um, just to get a little more insight into your life. So I'll hand it over to Stacy for the first one. All right, very good. Here's the first one. Uh, and actually one of my favorites. What was your first concert? We're going, we all date ourselves with this question, Jennifer, by the way. What was your first concert? Donna Summer. <gasps> wow. Yeah. And uh, my parents took me, it was at the Greek Amphitheater in Los Angeles. Legit. Um, had a blast, danced the whole time. Yeah, everything about that. Wow, I want to go deep there, but I won't. Okay, Spike, next question. <laughs> How about your first job? How about your first like paying job, but then also your first professional job? Okay, so first paying job, I worked at a ski shop in Mission Viejo, California. Wait, skiing in Mission Viejo, California? That doesn't connect in my brain. You can't snow ski there, but you can go <laughs> up to the mountains in a two-hour, two-half-hour drive. Yeah. Okay. Stop in Mission Viejo, and I was having so much fun that one day my mom asked me, like, have you gotten a paycheck yet? Like, I don't know. Oops. <laughs> so um, so that was my first job. I actually did get paid. And then the second one, the, the official job um, was I worked for K-Swiss, the tennis shoe company, uh, right out of college. And I was their first PR manager that they'd ever hired. And it was kind of fun because they handed me a bunch of trade magazines and said, okay, go do PR. And I was like, <laughs> okay. okay. Luckily, I came from a college program that was pretty hands-on and I had done some internships. So I kind of knew a little bit about what that was. And I just picked up the phone and started calling some media contacts and sort of took it from there. So. Wow, that is awesome. Again, much to go deep on, but okay, we'll move on. So, and, may, and maybe that last question leads into the next question I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you, and that is, what profession other than your own would you attempt or even be good at if you could? Oh, I, you know, I would love, I, I think psychology and working in some kind of therapeutic way because I'm, I'm an empathic person. Um, I really love to understand how people work and you know what what helps people um so i think that could be an interesting one and i think there's an inherent connection between that and marketing quite frankly that's my favorite part of marketing is like think uh, learning how people think when they interact with a brand or like how you interact with them online or like because you're dealing with people on social that would say things to you that would never say to your face and they're you know it's just these personas that they have We, we have this uh phenomenal uh, doctor of psychology, I think, maybe a neurologist that speaks at some of our conferences. And so that's her angle is how she talks about that relationship between psychology and marketing. So very, very interesting. Um, how about your favorite current app on your phone? Probably Spotify, because 
it brings, so I have a shared account with my older daughter, um, 17 year old. And, but my younger daughter and I, who's 15, we spend a lot of time riding in the car together. And so I, I ask them to be DJs. And so it's our way of connecting and talking um, through Spotify. So that's my favorite app now. Do you get interesting insights into your daughter from having the same login to Spotify? I bet you do. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I'm learning all kinds of music that I'd never heard of. Most of it that she's heard on TikTok, by the way. So TikTok has definitely made a big impact in that generation for sure. Yeah. No kidding. Okay. All right. Our final uh, rapid fire question to get to know you. And that is, what is your biggest indulgence? <laughs> I would say our horse. <laughs> Yeah, we, we we actually technically own two horses now. Um, they're uh, German warm blood horses. And uh, my youngest daughter rides, she uh, rides hunter style. So English um, equestrian hunter style. Cool. And they're my biggest indulgence because that's pretty much where all our money goes. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say indulgence yeah. in a context clearly sounds financial. Yeah. 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 Horses <laughs> eat a lot. Let's just put it that way. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. I've learned a lot, uh, you know, especially from your time in very large companies um, and how the digital transformation and how y'all think about it. It's been really fascinating. Like I said, took a ton of notes. I know Stacy did as well. I think I know Stacy has like 87 more questions she wants to ask you, but uh, I do. You know, we'll, we'll take you those You know me offline. well, Spike. Well, I mean, we're getting <laughs> to know you for sure. So again, thank you for spending time with us today. Thank you, Jennifer. Really great to have you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And great meeting you too. Stacy, there was a lot of juicy nuggets in there. What, what really, what really struck a chord with you? Indeed. Well, you know how we, uh, I'm so passionate about how engaged employees leads to engaged customers, mm -hmm. leads Circle to good financial performance yep. back to employees. It, but she gave me the greatest saying that honestly, I might try to incorporate in my own life. And that is every one of us is a chief value officer. And we all have to think about how we are creating value at every touch point. Absolutely. I love that. And even building on that, just that idea of outcomes, like in, in every, in every seat, in every company, thinking about what is that big outcome and how can I provide that value as an individual, but also as a team to that outcome that we're all working towards too. And I know it's, it's simple even just to say, but like to put into effect and to inspire people to, to achieve that and think about that on a daily basis, that's really where the work comes in. But once, you know, I think you and I have both been in organizations where, you know, that, that has happened and to see that come to life and manifest itself, really, really cool. Yeah, very cool. We have lots of energy and passion and, and focus around trying to enact and actually execute the outcomes that we're working on with our customers. So, wow, it's right up my alley to really focus on value and outcomes, value and outcomes, value and outcomes. Really, really cool even candidly to hear a chief marketing officer or a marketing person talk about value and outcomes. I remember the days with my customer, uh, chief customer officer hat on where that was a foreign concept to a marketer. So maybe it just all speaks to, it's you know, it's coming together, right? The experience is the experience and it matters not where in the life cycle the experience happens. It's really all about creating a great experience that ultimately then leads to that value and outcomes. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Well, folks, that is it for another great episode of CX Confessions. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. And we hope to see you next time. So I am Spike Jones. And I'm Stacey Satterwhite. We'll talk to you soon. 
Now more than ever, your customers expect to be understood on a personal level. Their likes, their dislikes, their history with your brand, and their communication preferences. But so many companies struggle to connect the dots of interaction across their own teams and channels, which can lead to customer experience challenges and disasters. That's where Koros can help. The award-winning customer engagement platform was built to turn those siloed interactions with your customers into enterprise value. Koros works with more than 2,000 of the world's leading brands, powering more than 500 million digital interactions every single day. Learn more at Koros.com. Thanks for listening to CX Confessions, brought to you by Koros. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app and give us a rating. See you next time.